Wow. Choir bringing it today. Hey, Shannon, you'll get to the picnic before me. Will you go ahead and get my barbecue? I've been smelling it, y'all, since I got here first thing today. So I've been hungry all along. How many of you like a good barbecue? How many of you like a good road trip? Anybody like just to take a road trip? Me too, you know. When you set out on a road trip, you, you have a starting point, and then you know all the places that you want to go along the way, and then you have the place where that road trip is going to end up, right, where it's going to conclude. You get all that figured out and mapped out, and that's part of the fun of it all. But all that's for nothing if you don't have a vehicle, <laughs> And you don't have the vehicle that can get you through all those ups and downs and twists and turns and ultimately to that destination. I want you to think of your life as a follower of Jesus today. And you may not be a follower of Jesus yet, but most of you probably would say that you are. And I want you to think today of the life of a follower of Jesus like a road trip. God knows when and where. He wants that journey to start, right? And, and then God also knows all the twists and turns and hills and valleys that are going to be along the way on that journey. And then God also knows how that journey is going to reach its destination. And here's the good news about God. Not only has God planned an amazing road trip for your life, yes, with twists and turns and ups and downs, but God has also provided the right vehicle that will take you from the beginning of the journey all the way through the journey all the way to the end of that journey. And that vehicle is called faith. It's faith. Here's what I mean by that. When my journey with the Lord Jesus started, it was by faith. Today, as I continue to live, I learn more and more every day that the way God would have me to live on this journey through all the twists and turns and hills and valleys is also by faith. And then one day, I don't know when that day is going to be, but one day I'm going to reach the end of my journey in this life. And it's faith that's going to bring me to the end of that journey. We're going to look at a number of passages of Scripture today, but let me start with this one. We'll only be here briefly, so if you just want to see it on the screen, that's fine. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says this, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. So, so how did you receive? If you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, how did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Wasn't it by grace through faith? It was, right? And so Paul says, so then just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, let's say parentheses grace by faith, continue to walk in him. So Paul just said the same vehicle of faith that puts you in this journey, that's the vehicle you're going to be in throughout this journey. Just as you came to know Jesus by grace through faith, continue to walk in him throughout your life. See, the Bible is clear that the way we begin life as a Christian has to be by faith. The way that we continue to live our life before God is by faith. And the way that it will conclude one day is also by faith. The entire experience of a saved person on this earth is by faith and faith alone. Sola fide. That's what the reformers called it 500 years ago. We did a little history a couple of weeks ago talking about that. And we're preaching a sermon series right now called The Five Solas. We looked at sola scriptura, scripture alone. We looked at sola gratia, grace alone. Today we're looking at sola fide, faith alone. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Watch this. From faith to faith. This is Paul's way of saying this is what God does in the gospel. He's providing something for us and it's from faith to faith. It's faith all the way through. From faith to faith. And then he says, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Some of you today are weary and exhausted and tired because somebody told you the Christian life is a life now of perpetual self-improvement. Every day is another opportunity to work harder, to modify your behavior a little bit more, to dig a little deeper, to put in a little bit more effort. But the word of God says we live by faith. When Paul says that in Romans 1, he's actually quoting from an Old Testament prophet by the name Habakkuk. Habakkuk says in chapter 2 verse 4, but the righteous one will live by his faith. So we have the apostle Paul in the New Testament saying we live by faith. We have an Old Testament prophet by the name of Habakkuk telling us that we're going to live by faith. God is clear. He's clear on this. The Christian life is a life to be lived by faith, by faith. In fact, Romans 14, 23. Romans 14, 23 is in the context of Paul trying to help some people figure out, can we drink this stuff? Can we eat this stuff? What are we supposed to do? And Paul says this, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. Watch this. And everything that is not from faith is sin. Faith is everything. Hebrews eleven six says it this way. Now without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is necessary to begin my relationship with God. Faith is necessary to walk with God. Faith is necessary to please God. Faith is necessary to obey God. Faith is necessary to honor God. And here's good news for you today. The good news is this. The faith that God requires from us is the very same faith that God provides for us. What we need for this, he provides. Yes, he even provides faith for us. Faith is the hands that God gives us to receive the promises of God for us. Without God giving us faith, we would have no hands with which to receive the promises of God. I I played receiver in high school because I had hands, pretty good hands, But I couldn't have played that position without hands. And walking with the Lord is going to require that we have hands of faith. And the good news is God has given this faith to us. He provides the faith that we need. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. So here's how the road trip works from beginning to end. I got my friend Bob here, and we talked about this last week. Bob is dead in his sin, dead as a hammer in sin. But one day, as a sheer act of grace, the Holy Spirit of God begins to draw Bob to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would seem simultaneously in that moment is also giving Bob hands, faith with which now he can receive the promises, and specifically here, the salvation of God. My Reformed friends would say that this drawing of God is irresistible, 
My less than reformed friends would say this drawing toward the Holy Spirit is an enabling kind of drawing. Either way, there is no salvation apart from faith, and there's no faith apart from the gracious work of God in a dead sinner. It is all by grace alone, through faith alone, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Now, to make myself clear, listen, the only thing I contributed to my salvation was my sin. I didn't move toward God. He moved toward me. It is all Him, all Grace on God's part, grace alone through faith alone, given to us as a gift from God. Here's Bob, dead in his sin. Holy Spirit graciously draws him to Jesus, awakening him, drawing him, giving him faith to believe. And that faith in Bob then is expressed like this. It's expressed in repentance and faith. In other words, repentance, he's turning, Bob turns from self and sin, and he's believing Jesus. He's trusting in the person and work of Jesus. He's trusting that Jesus is the Son of God who lived a perfect life, who died in his place at the cross, and God has raised him from the dead. That's what's going on in Bob's life now. See, listen, merely having faith that God exists, that doesn't save a person from sin. That's what a lot of people in the world go, well, I believe in God. And James would go, yeah, so are the demons. That's not the kind of faith we're talking about. We're talking about a saving faith. Saving faith looks like I repent. I turn from sin and self, and I want to follow Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus, who he is, what he's accomplished for me on the cross. For Bob to be saved, Bob's faith cannot be in his faith. Does that make sense? The object of saving faith is Jesus. Listen, our faith does not save us. Jesus alone saves us. And he saves us through faith. That's what he does. And that faith, let me remind you, is not something we mustered up. It's a gift from God. It's the hands that he gave us. And we manifest that that's been given by believing, repenting, and believing. Some people have faith in their faith instead of faith in God, instead of faith in God's Word. Today, mainstream Christianity, especially in America, is putting a whole lot of emphasis on the size of your faith, so a little faith, the strength of your faith, and so on. But listen, our attention shouldn't be on the size of our faith. Our attention ought to be on the size of the one in whom we put our faith. That's what it's about. Here's a pro tip, by the way. Not that I'm a pro. I'm learning. But for the Christian life, here it is. Focusing on my faith doesn't make my faith stronger. Focusing on the one my faith is in, his name is Jesus, that always makes my faith stronger. So you remember those old pictures of uh, people trying to figure out how to fly? Remember that? Well, let me ask you about this guy. All right, now, he's obviously got a great deal of faith. There's only two other men in the shot that are the least bit interested. The rest of them have given up faith. Look at them. They're not even watching him anymore. Like, yeah, we've seen this happen already. And I'm imagining he's, he's going to pedal as fast as he can. He's heading off to a cliff, and he's confident, man, this is, the, it's, it's, this is the time. It's happening this time, right? And you know how that probably ended up. Great faith, weak object right? 
But contrast that with your mom. She lives about a thousand miles away, and she has never flown, never has planned to flown. The thought of flying scares the bejeebers out of her. But now her first grandbaby's been born, and she's a thousand miles away. And so now mom does what mom never thought she would do. She buys a ticket, she goes through the gate, and she begins to walk wobbly and in a state of being terrified through the doors of that airplane. Mom's never drank a day in her life, but she's a little sauced probably by now, right? Just, <laughs> just trying to make it through, right? Her faith is weak and wobbly, but the object of her faith is strong. Listen, things are accomplished by the faithfulness of the object that we put our faith in, not by the measure or the strength of our faith. In fact, Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, if you just have the strength of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, jump into the sea and it would do it. Jesus said, it's not how big or how small your faith is that matters. It's the object of your faith that makes all the difference in the world. So let's go back to Bob, right? My friend Bob, he was dead in his sin. In pure grace, the Holy Spirit begins to draw Bob to himself providing faith for Bob. That faith then is manifested in Bob in this. He repents, he turns from sin and self, and he believes. He trusts Christ. He puts his trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He's trusting Christ. But here's the deal. Bob's still imperfect, isn't he? Have you found that to be true for you? All right, he's still messing up. He's still falling short. In fact, even the repentance and faith with which he came to know Christ, even his repentance wasn't perfect, right? Even his faith in that moment is not a perfect faith. And that raises a question. How then can a God who is holy and righteous, and he is holy and righteous, how can a God who is holy and righteous accept another person who is not holy and righteous. God does that. We know that he does it. And, and, but Bob, even though he has now been born again, he's been saved, he's been redeemed, he's been made new, he's been regenerated, whatever word you want to use, Bob's still not perfect. So how do we know that he as a sinner has now been made right with God? Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Paul says the righteousness or we could maybe say the perfection, not a great word, but it's decent. You get the idea. The righteousness of God is through It's in big letters right up here, y'all. It's through what? Through faith. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's another way of saying we're all sinners. We're all dead in our sin, like Bob. And then he says, verse 24, watch this. They are justified, you might want to underline that, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what, what Paul just told us is, yes, Bob is imperfect. He's missed the mark. But something now has happened in his life, and by the grace of God, he has been justified freely. 
So what does he mean when he says Bob's been justified? What does it mean to be justified? If you have a computer, you've ever written documents, then you probably have some idea, in part at least, what it means to have something justified, justified margins. A justified margins, a justified margin is where you bring everything into alignment. All the lines, they, they come into order and they're, they're, they're perfectly aligned from top to bottom. So in that sense, when God justified Bob, what he did is he aligned Bob from top down. He's lined him up with the perfection of God, with the righteousness of God. But the word justify also means this. Out of the first century when Paul was using this word, it's the word that a judge would use when he declared somebody to be not guilty. So if we put those two ideas together then, what we can understand has happened to Bob is this. Bob was dead in his sin. In grace, the Holy Spirit draws Bob to Jesus, gives Bob faith. That faith is manifested in repentance and belief. And then in that moment, God justifies Bob. He declares, as the holy judge, Bob is no longer guilty. In fact, more than that, Bob is in perfect alignment now with God. As God is righteous, so now Bob is righteous. But here's the deal. You know that's not true. At least where we live, that's not true. Because you still work with Bob, you still go to church with Bob, you watched the ball games yesterday with Bob, and you know Bob ain't perfect, right? There's still lots of imperfections and sin that manifest in Bob's life. So why would God say, Bob is in perfect alignment with me, he's forgiven, he's right with me, why would God say that? If that's not true about Bob. Now we don't mind that Bob says that about, that God says that about Bob because we like Bob. Bob's a good guy. Have you met, I don't know if you met Bob before, but he's a really good guy. I take my word for it. And we're just like, I don't want to ask questions. I'm just glad he got saved. And we don't want to ask questions about ourselves because we think we're pretty good people too. And I don't really get it all, but I'm just glad I'm saved. I'm still jacked up, but God said I'm righteous. And so I don't get it, but I'm saved. But where we struggle with it is when that person who's really, really evil that we don't care for, we don't like. And they come to know Christ. And God says about them, they're forgiven and they're righteous. This is where we begin to struggle a little bit because here's the question. If somebody has done something wrong, shouldn't they pay for it? Yeah, please, just do this. Yes, I, I don't want to live in a world, and you don't either, where people can do wrong and they don't have to pay for it. Think about this. Would it be just, would it be right if, let's say there's two boys and let's say they're twins. They look alike, but beyond that, there's really nothing that's even similar to these boys. And one day, one of the boys is at home and he's diligently doing his homework and he's gotten his chores done. But, but his twin brother, he's, he skipped out on the chores and he has no intentions of doing his homework. In fact, he's with some friends and he just shoplifted some vape cartridges. And then he and his buddy thought on the way home it would be funny to key a bunch of cars in the car dealership on the way home. 
and they got caught. And now the young man's going to have to go stand before the judge, and the judge declares that he's guilty. But then the judge brings in the other brother, and he sentences the brother who was at home doing his homework and doing his chores to pay for the crimes of the other brother. Now, if you're the parents of those children, are you good with that? No, you're not good with that. That's not right in any sense of the word. Is it? No. This is, this is no. That's not right in any sense of the word. But, but let's imagine this. Let's imagine these two boys are only 12 years old. The boy's busted. His dad has to go with them to stand before the judge. His dad is his legal guardian, right? So his dad stands before the judge there as his son's legal guardian. And the judge tells the legal guardian, here's the cost of all the damages that your son has done. And I'm ordering you to pay for it. You have 30 days to get it done. Is that the way the legal system works? It's the way it's supposed to work. That makes sense to us, right? When, when there's a legal guardian in play, now we can understand somebody else being punished for what somebody else has done. In the same way, the Bible teaches us that humanity has two legal guardians. There was Adam. God made a covenant with Adam. And through that covenant, Adam stood as the legal guardian over all of humanity, over all of us. And when Adam became guilty of breaking that covenant with God, everybody that Adam represented, me and you, we all then were counted as guilty because our legal representative, our legal guardian, Adam, was guilty of breaking that covenant with God. But in grace... God provided for us a new legal guardian. God provided for us new legal representation. And just as Adam's disobedience at a tree made us guilty, so Jesus' obedience on a tree made us righteous. This is the good news of the gospel. God has provided a new guardian for us. New representation for us. Justification, being lined up right before God, is available. Being declared not guilty, being in perfect alignment with God, that is now available to all of humanity through the legal representation of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Just as Adam passed his sin onto all of us, Jesus offers to pass his perfect righteousness to all of us. So how do we receive it, Glenn? He's offering that as our legal guardian. He's saying, I paid for the crimes, I paid for the sin, and I will, I will give you the reward of all of that. You will be righteous in the sight of God. How do you receive that? I'll tell you how you don't receive it. You don't receive it with works. You don't earn it. You don't check the boxes and go through the motions. You receive it with those hands of faith that God has given to you. Faith alone, sola fide, Romans 3.28, look at it. Paul says, for we conclude that a person is justified. Now you know what that word means, right? Does everybody know what it means, right? 
The, the judge has said you're not guilty. You're in right alignment now with God. For we conclude that a person is justified, how? By faith, apart from the works of the law. We're, we're justified, y'all. We're legally declared by the Most High Judge to be not guilty. Legally declared by the Most High Judge to be in right alignment with God, to be righteous. See, listen, part of justification is something gets taken away from me and something gets given to me. Justification is sin gets taken away from me, but it's also the righteousness of God gets given to me. It's, it's both of those things. God's taking you on a road trip. And the vehicle that you start off in is the vehicle of faith. And it's the vehicle you're going to continue in. Paul said, just as you started, that's how you continue. He said, Colossians 2, continue to walk in that same way. So faith is how you got, we call this justified. Justification. That's the beginning of the road trip. Faith brought about your justification before God. But Brennan, watch this. And faith is what we're going to live by on this journey through all the twists and turns and ups and downs. And that's going to give us our sanctification. Our sanctification also through faith. Sanctified simply means to be set apart. See, now that God has you in the car and he has you buckled up, he's going to begin the process of setting you apart further from your old self and setting you apart more toward who Jesus is. He's going to be changing you on the journey through this journey of faith, this road trip that we're on. He's going to work in you. Watch this. He's declared Bob and me to be righteous, justification. Now through sanctification, he's going to begin to slowly make what he has already declared about me closer to true in the real world that I'm living in. He's going to be changing me. In other words, here at the beginning, in justification, he saved me from sin's penalty. But I'm still struggling with sin, y'all. Anybody care to testify? I don't know about my sin. You know I'm struggling with my sin. You struggle with your sin, right? Y'all are more than eager to point out mine. So he's still changing us by faith. We're justified here at the beginning of the journey. And now he begins to change us through this journey saved from sin's penalty, but now through the journey I'm being saved from sin's power. And at the end of the trip, he's going to fully and finally save us from sin's presence. And that's called glorification. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Here's the thing about this journey, though. From the time I got into this relationship with Jesus and then to mile marker 10, I'm a little different. He's changing me. And from mile marker 10 to mile marker 50, he's changing me a little bit more. I don't really notice it, and other people may not notice it, every tenth of a mile. But over the course of time, over the long haul, who's changing me? God's changing me. I'm just living by faith. What's, what's my job in justification? Faith. What's my job in sanctification, God changing me? Same thing, it's faith and faith alone. Remember, it's God who gives you that faith to start with and then one day you come to the end of this road trip. Faith got you justified. Faith has carried out you being sanctified and now faith has brought you to the destination and now you 
get to get out of the vehicle of faith because now you don't need it anymore. You've, you've come to the destination, which is your glorification. And I don't need this vehicle anymore because now I'm standing face to face with the one that I've been putting my faith in throughout this whole journey. Now my faith has become sight. Now I'm beholding him face to face, standing in front of Jesus now, totally, completely changed. He saved me at the beginning from sin's penalty. He said, I'm justified. He saved me from sin's power all along the way. He was changing me. And now at the destination, he saved me from sin's presence. Everything's made new. And what was your part in that whole journey? What's my part? What's Bob's part in that whole journey? Faith. Just drive, Jesus, just drive. Some of you are tired and weary today with self-induced guilt and self-induced shame because you just can't do enough, always working harder, trying to be better, trying to improve yourself, trying to feel like somehow you can make yourself measure up more to whatever it is that God's looking for. What God's looking for is what he sees in Jesus. And you put your faith in Jesus, that's what he sees in you. Faith alone through justification. Faith alone through sanctification. Faith alone through glorification. Let me go back to where we started. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because <laughs> it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Watch this. For in it the righteousness God is revealed from faith to faith. That's how we experience the Lord. That's what salvation on our side looks like. It's faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Me and Bob, dead in our sin. Holy Spirit, in grace, comes, draws us to Jesus, gives faith. That faith is manifested in repenting from sin and self and turning toward Jesus in belief. Believing that he is God's son, that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he died in my place at the cross and that God has raised him on the third day. And then God began to work in me and God began to work in Bob to change us and to make us look more like the one who has saved us. And he's changed us from mile marker to mile marker. And then one day we open our eyes and there is the one that we have put our faith in all along. Our glorification has happened. We're standing in front of Jesus face to face. Justification, sanctification will have culminated in our glorification. And then God will have already declared us to be righteous, but then it will be so in every sense of the word. But until that day comes, you got to get this. Until that day comes, we live by faith. And I just want you to get that today. Because some of you, religion has beat you up and beat you down. And maybe somebody else has beat you up and beat you down. And here's the list and here's the rules and you don't make it. You don't make the cut and you're not good enough. You keep messing up and this is you. And I'm telling you this morning, the good news of the gospel is Jesus has done it all. Jesus has paid it all. This is what brought about the Reformation 500 years ago. 500 years ago, the church was saying, do it. But the gospel says it's done. It's done. And today I would like nothing more than for followers of Jesus today to walk in the freedom that Christ came to give. To walk by faith. To live by faith.
to trust in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. But also today I'm concerned about those of you who maybe as of right now, your journey with your creator, it hasn't yet started. You're standing outside of it looking at this vehicle called faith. And you've thought about getting in and putting your trust in Christ. Maybe today's the day you, you finally do that. And you say yes to Jesus. And he'll take you from this place to that place. And the very thing that you'll do today to get in this place is all that he's going to ask of you for the rest of your life until he brings you home. And then you can leave faith behind because you'll never need it again. So God, we bow our hearts before you today. And, and God, I, my heart's just heavy for people who know you, Jesus. My heart's heavy for them because I know this is my struggle so often too. I begin to rehearse a false gospel in my head that Jesus is not enough. Your grace is not enough. Faith is not enough. And I start to add to it. I make my list and I, I believe the list that others make for me. And the joy begins to leak out of my life. And I begin to try to size up my faith. I begin to try to size up my works. And in all of that, my eyes aren't on you, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm simply asking that today you would help us to get our eyes back on Jesus and let him drive. Let him lead us every step of this journey to trust him more, to rest from our trying and our striving and to rejoice that it's all done and to trust Jesus more. And God, I pray for those today who may not, may not know you today. Somebody may be sitting here today wondering, is today the day that I, I start a new journey in my life? I start a new journey with Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord. And God, I pray that the voice of the enemy that says they're not good enough, they don't deserve it, God, I pray you would... Help them to understand today, none of us are good enough. None of us deserve it. It is by grace. This faith is by grace. I pray, God, you would draw people to trust you today, Savior and Lord. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, if God's calling you today to start your journey with Jesus, I can't think of a better day to start your journey with him because none of us are promised another day. This is the day. This is the day. If you want to start your journey with Jesus today, I'd love to speak to you for just a moment. I know it sounds crazy and ridiculous to say, all you got to do is just come down here and talk to me in front of God and everybody. But there's something about that that just sort of separates the pretenders from the people who really mean business, right? So I think there's something good in that. And I would love nothing more than to hang out with you for a minute and help you start your relationship with Jesus today. He said, I don't, I don't have enough answers. <laughs> Me neither. It's 
a journey, right? And then you may be here as a follower of Jesus and man, I don't want you to walk out with the same list, the same to-do list that you walked in with. Feeling that pressure on you that you've got to achieve, you're, you've got to perform. And I think if there's anything the Spirit of God would love to do in the people of God today, it's to give us a lightness in our soul. You know what I mean? A real joy in our heart today that we would truly believe the gospel, that we would truly believe that God has done what he's done, that we are who he says we are, and that it's not grace plus or faith plus or Jesus plus. It's done. That we would trust him more, more faith today. So let's stand, let's worship the Lord. As God speaks to our hearts today, let's, let's step out in faith today. Let's believe him.